dealing with today's issues from a biblical perspective. Can you handle the truth? Informative voice for Christianity, the Marty Mento Show. Well, welcome once again to the Marty Mento Show podcast. I'm your host, Marty Mento, the informative voice for Christianity all across America. The one who has been called the blue-collar theologian, trying to help others make sense of the confusion in visible Christianity today. If you want to share your thoughts, your views, your opinions about this podcast, all you have to do is email me, martyminto at gmail.com. That's martyminto at gmail.com. Well, once again, welcome to the podcast. What a blessing today to have you aboard. It's a wonderful day in my neighborhood. No, I am not the first one to say that. I remember Mr. Rogers. used to watch him as a child growing up. Ah, oh, boy. Those days seem to be so much simpler than they are today. But once again, thank you so much for joining with me here today. Uh, on this beautiful day, at least where I'm at, it's a beautiful, gorgeous day. I cannot deny that. Uh, I'm just blessed, truly blessed, uh, here in the deep heart of the South in South Carolina, and uh, it's blue sky, sunshine, it's just right. Temperature's just right, not too cold, not too hot. It's just a perfect place to be today. And uh, I am just grateful that I have this opportunity of, uh, you know, being able to open up the airways and share this podcast with you. Well, you know, I've been thinking about this for the last few days, and I've been thinking to myself, you know, exactly what do I say, what do I bring to the table because you all are aware, everyone out there, that the news that is buzzing all across America, all around the world, was the death of the great basketball legend, Kobe Bryant. And um, honestly, when you think about anyone who's dying, uh, or has died, I should say, you know that that's, it's a truly a heartbreak. Uh, I do know a lot of people right now that are going through very difficult times because loved ones are on their deathbed. And then you have those who passed away tragically, like Colby Bryant and his daughter did, and along with many others that were on, uh, all of them actually, on the um, helicopter. Um, it's just a very difficult time. Death is something that none of us uh, want to talk about. We, we don't want to really even face, but it just hurts. It just cuts to the core of who we are as human beings. And uh, we know as Christians, though, it is the judgment of God. It is because of sin that took place in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. And um, it's a painful event. Uh, It's very difficult. It's very challenging. We know that in the Bible, the two, you know, the the shortest verse in the Bible is the two words, Jesus wept. And he wept because a good friend, Lazarus, had passed away, had been dead for days. And he he looked upon the others, uh, his family, um, and along with those who were there mourning, and he wept, and uh, it's it's a very difficult time when someone passes away. But as I was thinking about everything that had been said on the news, watching all the reports, uh, I came across a, a very interesting article, which I really didn't know. And I thought to myself, you know, uh, this would be a good time to talk about this. I think, I, you know, a few days have gone by, but, but it is one of those topics. Well, I, I found myself many, many years ago, finding myself in trouble with a similar topic because of the fact that one time I was uh, doing Christian Talk Radio and uh, there was an issue, a question that had been brought to the table when Pope John Paul II had passed away. 
And, uh, you know, people had wondered whether he was in heaven or hell, uh, what my thoughts were. And just a quick synopsis, I just simply shared the gospel message. I, I made it clear that a man must be born again, and he'll never enter nor see the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is the one who taught us that. And But through all of that, a lot of different things took place, and, you know, yada, 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 I found myself uh, without a position as a talk show host uh, in a show that was doing very well in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania market. And again, that's a long time ago, but, you know, I thought to myself back then, I, I did quite a few shows revolving, you know, or involving, I should say, that whole entire area of Allegheny County, which is predominantly, when we talk about beliefs, religious beliefs, is predominantly Roman Catholic. Well, I just found out this, and I, I was quite amazed by it, but uh, here Kobe Bryant was a truly a... A uh, devout Catholic, a faithful Catholic, and, I, and I'll share some of those words uh, that are coming up here in this article in just a moment, but uh, apparently the headlines in the Fox News reads like this, Kobe Bryant reportedly attended Catholic Mass hours before crash. Now again, I, I was surprised by it. I had no idea he was Roman Catholic. The article says the NBA legend Kobe Bryant was a devout Catholic and reportedly attended Mass hours before he died with his 13-year-old daughter Gianna and seven other passengers in a helicopter crash Sunday morning in Calabasas, California. Archbishop Jose Gomez of Los Angeles called the 41-year-old husband uh, and father of four a very good Catholic, a faithful Catholic with whom he had often met. Um... I found this interesting because this article is pretty in-depth for the most part, but it really just kind of just paints the picture of what I, you know, what I just said. He's, he was a faithful, he was a devout Roman Catholic, and he attended Mass just like many devout Roman Catholics would attend Mass, um, you know, throughout the, the, the world. Matter of fact, I found this very interesting. There are actually more than 100,000 Masses said all over all over the world each and every day. Wow. I didn't realize that the number was so great. I, you know, I, I, you would think with all the years and, and talking about and looking at uh, Roman Catholicism, I, just for some reason that uh, that actual statistic just kind of, uh, you know, kind of jumped out at me. I didn't realize it was that many. But, you know, the question always is raised about Roman Catholicism and their belief system and what really takes place, what do they believe, uh, what happens after a person dies. I mean, you know, uh, the the people all throughout Los Angeles County, the world, uh, have really been setting up memorials left and right uh, in, you know, in remembrance of Kobe and, and his daughter and the others who, who died in this horrific, you know, uh, helicopter crash. But, you know, it goes back to really, to me, when I start thinking about it, because death is something that is very, very important that we should discuss. We should find out what God says about death. Matter of fact, last night at, at a Bible study that I am uh, teaching at, uh, there was uh, someone who had made some references about death, and actually references about hell, specifically, and I had to stop the person and say, listen, you you really don't know what God says about it, because if you understood what hell's all about, if you understood what death's all about, 
from God's perspective and what God says, this would not be a topic that we should just kind of casually talk about. It's a topic that really has to be uh, just uh, taken, you know, step by step, looked at, look at what God's Word says, look at the examples found within the pages of Scripture. Um, we, we need to take it serious. Why? Because all of us are going to die. Uh, the you know the two big things, and I've talked about this before in prior podcasts. You can look at the prior episodes, and you can um, get some more in depth teaching about this. But uh, the fact of the matter is, we're going to die. We don't know when we're going to die, and and one of the things that bothers many people is how they're going to die. But for a Christian, death is not the end all. Uh, death, in some would say, is just the beginning. Uh, death uh, doesn't have a sting over us anymore. It is not something that we should be fearful of. In essence, we, we know that death in death's door, as we cross that threshold, we are going to be in the presence of our Lord and our Savior and our King, Jesus. It's something that really, in essence, for the Christian, is a time of celebration. It's not something that even though we, we mourn people that we lose because we love them and they're no longer with us physically, we believe as Christians that, that death uh, once again has been conquered by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we get excited about that, and we believe wholeheartedly, according to the Bible, uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, I say all that because the Roman Catholics do not hold on to that. Uh, I, I have taught this for years upon years, and actually I tell people quite often that if you're really going to do an in-depth study and you're really going to look uh, very carefully and clearly at, um, at death and what takes place at death, I, I really believe we have to look at the teachings of Jesus. And the reason why we have to look at the teachings of Jesus is because we have to come to that point in place of realizing exactly what does take place whenever someone dies. I mean, what happens to them uh, upon death? And people, you know, say, okay, where would I turn? Well, I think the clearest passage of Scripture is really found in the book of Luke chapter 16. And in Luke chapter 16, starting with verse 19, uh, there is a story that Jesus brings to light about a certain rich man and a poor man by the name of Lazarus. Now, what's interesting about this story is uh, that the story is not called a parable. Uh, I firmly believe that uh, most likely the Jews, the people that Jesus was talking to and, and proclaiming these truths to, they, they were aware uh, of this poor man Lazarus. They were aware of, of the rich man, uh, and they had an understanding. And the, because in all the other parables, Jesus never uses a man's uh, real name. He does here. So this seems to be a, a story based upon people that others in the community would be well aware of. But what's interesting about the story is, is both of them die. And the rich man, the Bible tells us very distinctively, uh, finds himself in Hades, finds himself in some would call it a compartment of hell, a place uh, where there is obviously suffering and agony. Uh, there's torment. And then you have, um, you have Lazarus, who is actually carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, which this is a, another reference, or at least in the Talmud and places, it's a reference to heaven. 
And so you have the Lazarus, who is the poor begging man who's in heaven, and you have the rich man who's in hell. Now, the reason I'm talking about this just really quick is because I, I want to get to my, my points here today, and the topic is the fact that Jesus never mentions anywhere that would be an in-between, somewhere where you would have to go and you would have to wait, you would have to, you know, um, wait your, I don't want to say your turn, but I don't know any other way to put it, but there would be a process from you going to this place of um, what the Roman Catholics would call purgatory, a, a place where you would truly have to be cleansed, purified, and be prepared to enter into heaven. Now, if we believe in a place called purgatory, which I do not, but if you would believe in a place called purgatory, the problem is there is no biblical, there is no scriptural evidence for that. Even though here in this podcast today, I am going to share with you what the Roman Catholic Church teaches in regards to this, where they would turn to this uh, in the scriptures um, to say, well, this is, this is proof that purgatory exists. Now, the word purgatory is nowhere to be found in the Bible, and the Roman Catholic Church would agree with that. However, they, they believe that the implication of purgatory and what purgatory is all about is found in within the pages of Scripture. So as I look at this, I, I think to myself, okay, you, you have a faithful, devout Roman Catholic. His name's Kobe Bryant. And, you know, where is he now? Well, he's not necessarily in heaven. He would be in purgatory. You know, but at the same time, I'm not completely clear about uh, all the issues of venal uh, versus mortal sins and stuff like that in his life. But uh, when I get into this topic here, I'm going to show you what Roman Catholics believe. And right now, there is no doubt there are many prayers, uh, many penances, things that are done and brought forward so that, um, you know, Colby can be prayed and also paid into that place where he is finally cleansed through and and he could become all that he was supposed to be and in, in be with God in heaven. And, and this is one of the things that are very, it's very challenging because when I look at this, and, and I, I know many people who believe this, I, I, I say to myself, okay, if I go to the clearest teaching of Scripture of Jesus and someone dying, there's no mention of this. There's nothing that's here. And so, uh, you know, I there should be right away for anyone, especially if you're Roman Catholic, if you know a Roman Catholic person, this should be something of great concern right away that Jesus never mentioned this. Now, some people would say, okay, but other passages do. But but wait a minute. You know, Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. He's our King. He is the one who instructed his disciples. He prepared them. He trained them. He is the one who refuted and stood, uh, you know, opposed to those, even those teachers of his day, to show them the truth. And the bottom line is, when we deal with death, he never, ever goes there. And I think there should be a big red flag. If I'm a Roman Catholic, right away I'm concerned. I'm concerned because I don't see Jesus teaching about purgatory. I don't see him mentioning it. I don't see him going there with that, talking about it, or even in some way, shape, or form, you know, kind of referencing or or implying that the place even exists. And that's where it becomes really, really challenging. It becomes difficult. 
And, and I tell people that, you know, I I really want to go to the source. I believe that all of Scripture is God-breathed. All of it is. All of it comes from God. He is the, he is the originator, the source of all the truth, the biblical truth, is God. But when I see Jesus in his ministry on the earth— I got to be honest with you. I, I would think because of this situation and circumstance of death, because he talks about death, he even talks about his own death. Uh, he, he, you know, he touches the topic of, of of eternity and everything. I mean, you would think that there would be implications. There would be a definement for us within the pages of Scripture about purgatory. And the truth of the matter is, there's not. Here's what the uh, Catholic Encyclopedia says when it comes to purgatory. Purgatory is a place or condition of temporal punishment for those who, departing this life in God's grace, are not entirely free from venial faults and have not fully paid the satisfaction due to their transgressions. Now, I, I do apologize. I, I mentioned mortal sins. I shouldn't have because I I threw them both together, but this is purgatory is dealing with venial sins, and I can help explain a little bit more of that a little bit later here. But to summarize this simply is that Catholic theology is telling us the purgatory is a place in which the Christian soul goes after he's died to be cleansed of his sins that really have not been fully satisfied during this lifetime. Um. And we'd have to ask ourselves, is this biblical? Does this line up with Scripture? The answer simply is, no, it doesn't in any way, shape, or form. And it doesn't because there's Scripture after Scripture that gives to us a very clear, distinct understanding about what Jesus has done and has not done when it comes to his death, when it comes to uh, him dying once and once for all and for us being forgiven forgiven of all of our sins, of the past, the present, and even into the future, uh, etc. He paid the penalty. Um, he was the one who was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We find that in Isaiah 53, 5. Uh, Romans 5.8 talks about that Jesus died to pay the penalty for all of our sins. So, I mean, we could, I, there's, there's more scripture I'm going to bring to the table there, but so the Roman Catholic Church says that there's this place or this condition where the Christian soul goes and has to have this cleansing process. Now, I had to dig out some of my old stuff, and I had to kind of blow some dust off and, and just uh, kind of sharpen myself up with some of the things that I do have as far as references, but I pulled out my old trusty Catechism of the Catholic Church. And in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 1030, 31, and 32, the title is The Final Purification or Purgatory. And here's what it says in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. All who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. But after death, they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. So in other words, they're not holy enough. They're not quite prepared because God is holy. They're not holy. They, they had some type of sins that uh, weren't dealt with, uh, that needed to be dealt with. So 
they need to be cleansed. They need to be purified before they go there. Now, in the Catechism 1031, it says this, the church gives the name purgatory to this final purification of the elect, which is entirely different from the punishment of the damned. The church formulated her doctrine of faith on purgatory, especially at the councils of Florence and Trent. The tradition of the church, by reference of certain texts of Scripture, speaks of cleansing fire. Now, we'll talk about that, that passage here in just a moment, which is really their foundational passage to, to this whole doctrine or teaching of purgatory. But it also says in the Catechism of 1032, this teaching is also based on the practice of prayer for the dead, uh, already mentioned in sacred scripture. Uh, then it, it, it tells you exactly where this comes from, and it's, it's in Second Maccabees, and we'll talk about that in just a few moments which will also mention that 2 Maccabees is not sacred scripture, but that, uh, that is something else that we could talk about some other time. But the truth of the matter is the church uh, commends almsgiving, indulgences, and works of penance undertaken on behalf of the dead. So once, once again, almsgiving, indulgences, and works of penance undertaken on behalf of the dead. So people are praying, people are paying. Uh, there is a way and means of getting somebody through the purification process in a quicker, you know, more, you know, sufficient way if they're in purgatory, which they are in purgatory. Matter of fact, we're going to find out here the truth of the matter is when it comes to purgatory, the only ones who really can make it through are the ones who are supposedly perfect or holy and who actually, at best, maybe maybe their toe touches purgatory for a moment, but in most cases in the tradition that teaching in the Catholic Church, that's not. But they're, they're only a, a small group of people, which would include like the popes, uh, bishops at times, but primarily the popes, because the pope is considered the vicar of Christ, the vicar or vicar, however you want to look at it. Uh, but uh, they are the ones that are only really truly holy enough to go straight to heaven, which is kind of interesting in itself. But but that gives you a little background about this whole issue. Um, and digging this up, I, I had to also dig out uh, one of the Bibles that I, I have here that um, is actually the, the Bible that is used uh, by many Roman Catholics today, many Roman Catholic apologists, uh, it's called the New Catholic Answer Bible. Uh, this is a very interesting Bible, but it gives uh, not only is all of the scriptures there, but it really gives the insight. It answers I don't know how many questions that there are out there in regards to um, you know the Roman Catholic Church and what they believe, what they do, what they don't do. This is the book that you would turn to. Um, you could turn a lot of other places, but this really is the place that you turn to to get this information. But he here's what it tells us. Um, the question is, and then the answers are given, is purgatory in the Bible? Now, right away it says, the writer of Second Maccabees praises the offering of prayers and sacrifices for the dead. Um, why do the departed need such assistance from us? The answer is so that their sins might be fully blotted out. And that is from 2 Maccabees chapter 12, 
verses 38 through 46, but specifically focusing on verse 42. It goes on to say that the final destiny of the redeemed is to live in heaven eternally with God, where we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 1 John 3, 2. Since God is holy, see, here's the key. Since God is holy, to be like him, we too must be holy. Matthew 5, 48. Without that holiness, no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12, 14. For nothing unclean will enter the glory of heaven. Revelation 21, 27. So again, uh, I, I would just encourage you, if you're writing these down or hearing this, you got to remember that every time we look at Scripture, we have to look at it in its proper context. Context is everything. If we miss the proper context, we miss the proper interpretation, the meaning of the passage. Uh, we also got to understand words have meaning. We also got to understand the use of figurative language within Scripture. Uh, I could go on and on and on. We, we have to do our proper biblical hermeneutics when we're studying God's Word. Uh, and we could easily throw out Scriptures, but again, we have to look in the light of the context of what's taking place. But listen to what it says here in the uh, New Catholic Answer Bible. It says, Nevertheless, few people even among devout Christians, are fully cleansed of sin and its effect when they die. Now stop right there. Who's the few? I've already mentioned that. Uh, This is a difficult one to find because they don't want to talk. The Roman Catholic Church doesn't like to go there. But the bottom line is the popes seem to fit that category. Uh, You may have some nuns that fit that category, but usually not. Uh, there could possibly be a bishop or two, but, the, you know, it really is something that is reserved for the popes. They are considered the ones who are the closest, and they are, again, when they speak, uh, you know, you know, ex-cathedral, they, they speak, you know, they are like Christ himself speaking to the church. And so uh, the bottom line is they are the ones uh, that seem to be the devoted Christians so pure and so holy, uh, they're the ones who are cleansed, and when they die, they go straight to heaven. But again, there, there have been debates within Roman Catholicism about this too, but in most cases, nobody wants to go there and talk about the Pope or, you know, begin to banner about whether or not he would fit this category or not. So th- most people just leave it alone, and it's kind of one of those elephants in the room you just don't talk about. But listen to this. Um, we realize from the statement um, that there are only a few people who are fully cleansed of sin and, and the effects of sin when they die. So right away, I don't know about you, but we seem to have a problem right away. And the problem would seem to be that um, Christ's death wasn't sufficient for the cleansing, the forgiving of our sins in the eyes of God the Father. So his death isn't sufficient. It's not efficacious. It's not, it's not done what it needs to do, and you still have work that needs to be done by the individual, by the Roman Catholic, in order to gain interest or interest entrance, excuse me, into heaven. So Christ's death wasn't sufficient, which becomes very problematic which becomes really that which opposes Scripture. It opposes what the Word of God says. 
Now, it says here, go on, it says, and God will not reject any penitent sinner, even one who has been notoriously wicked, yet repents at this last moment before death, which we believe that, and they use the example of the thief on the cross in Luke chapter 23. But how then can we enter heaven immediately at death if we aren't yet perfected in holiness? Once again, because they are looking at something that is done as far as within a human being in the sense that somehow they are made perfect, they are made holy. Now, there are teachings out there, even outside of Roman Catholicism, that really bring forth that you can reach and attain a place and a point in your sanctification that you become perfect, that you're no longer sinning. Um... I believe it's called perfectionism. There may be other terms, I think, that are really used in this theologically throughout the years, but the bottom line is it's it doesn't hold water to the, the Word of God. We could go to 1 John. In 1 John, in, in chapter 1, if we read and we study, we realize, you know, for us to say that we have no sin, we are a liar and we're making God to be a liar. The bottom line is we are still in this tent. We're living in a fallen world and each and every day we sin. I mean, God only knows how often we actually sin by the things that we say, we do, we think, etc. But their understanding is this infusion, somehow that, that the grace of God is infused into a person and that they're able to be made pure and holy and perfect, which to me brings about another simple point is they don't understand God. God is the creator. He is perfect. He is holy. And he demands holiness from us. We know that from the book of 1 Peter. We, we understand that, under, that we are to be holy because he is holy. But what people don't understand is that as God is the creator, we are the creation. Because of the fall in the garden, we have within us, uh, we are truly uh, men and women, even when we're born from above, we are men and women who will sin against God. We will sin against God because the old man will rear his ugly head, the flesh will come about and kick in, and we know that there's a battle, uh, according to the Scriptures, from the flesh against the Spirit because of the battle is uh, there so we don't do what we want to do. Uh, the bottom line is we go through this battle for all of our lives here upon this earth. And the truth of the matter is we are to be holy, and the only way to do that which is right in the eyes of God and to be holy is to live by the Spirit, be filled each and every day with the Spirit, and walking by the Spirit, living by the Spirit, etc., etc. That is what we are commanded to do. But we fail. We don't do that. But at the same time, we have to understand something. Grace, we don't believe, biblically speaking, that grace is infused into us. Uh, matter of fact, the work that Christ did on the cross, the suffering he went through, the shedding of his blood, all that Christ did for us was placed upon our account. Uh, this is something that's very, very important for us to understand, and most people don't get this. And I, because of the time here today on the podcast, I'm not sure how far I could go with this. I know that I've talked about it on another podcast, but I, some people just don't understand 
that that truly the work of Christ, um, he has truly cleansed us. He has truly uh, taken our sins, and he has removed them as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more in the sense that he does not count them against us. But his, his righteousness, his work, his suffering, all that he did is imputed unto us. It's put on our account. And see, there is a big difference between that and what is taught in Roman Catholicism. And that's why the Roman Catholic belief system is a very interesting belief system that many times you find is not biblical. It doesn't line up with Scripture. Or it is just a poor interpretation of Scripture, which all you know ultimately creates doctrines and beliefs and and things that uh, Roman Catholics will teach by the priest, the pope, etc., that really go against Scripture. And that's a whole other issue, too, the authority of Scripture and the authority of the Church. Uh, some would say they're equal. Uh, others would say at times it's uh, greater because of the pope speaks ex cathedra. Uh, if he does so and he says, you know, what he says, he's speaking as the vicar of Christ— he is the, you know, he is speaking as Christ would speak. You have a lot of this confusion. And it's interesting because when you go down through history and you look at history, and we're talking about purgatory here, the doctrine of purgatory was actually created by Gregory the First in AD 593. So prior to that, we don't even have a mention of it. We don't have uh, the teaching of purgatory to AD 593. Now, we do have prayers for the dead, but that, that was invented around A.D. 300. But, but what's interesting, and I tell people all this time, if we go back to the Bible and we correctly uh, interpret the Scriptures and we use true, solid biblical hermeneutics and we realize that context matters, we come to realize that what is being said and taught, and many times by the Roman Catholics, doesn't line up with Scripture. It has been created, it has been invented by somebody along the way, some pope, uh, somebody, you know, of some type of power or authority, uh, somebody, uh, you know, uh, that uh, has, you know, uh, been uh, recognized by the Roman Catholic Church of someone of great, uh, you know, of teaching. In most cases, it's the popes, in most cases. But, but I think this is very interesting, because, again, it brings a lot of confusion, because it stands in light or against of what Scripture tells us. And I, and I go back to what I said earlier. Jesus doesn't mention it. And right away, that would be the red flag. Right away, I would find myself greatly suspicious. So as we look at this further here in the uh, Catholic Answer Bible, it says here, uh, the prophecies of purification begins in this life as we submit in faith to the dealings of God that help to make us whole. Purgatory is simply the name given to the process of purification as it continues after death, like the Holy Trinity. Purgatory is a term not occurring in Scripture, at least they admit that, but the reality is it refers to as implied by scriptural truths. Now, this is not true. Uh, um, and the place that they're referring to that really is the, the foundation, the bedrock of this teaching, is 1 Corinthians 
Now, what's interesting is if you have a Bible and you're looking at that passage, as I talk about it here um, today on the podcast, I want you to understand something of of great importance here. Uh, In chapter 3, starting uh, really with the very beginning of chapter 3, Paul is um, correcting, he is lovingly rebuking uh, those at Corinth because they're not acting as spiritual men, but they're, they're really acting as men of the flesh, as babies in Christ, as he says in verse 1. Um, he, he talks about the fact that he still has to give them a bottle to drink, not solid food, because they're not able to receive it. He says that they're still fleshly. There's jealousy and strife among them. Uh, you're, you're walking like mere men, like men who are, you know, truly uh, men of the world, men who are unregenerated. Um, and then he gets upset because he tells him, listen, I'm hearing people say that I'm of Paul and others say I'm of Apollos. Um, and he says, are we not mere men? And then he talks about what they are. They're, they're both servants of the Lord and whom you've believed. Um, through whom you have believed. In other words, they were there presenting the gospel, teaching the truths about Christ. God was using them as he gave the opportunity. And he says, you know, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Then he starts talking about that all of us are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. Um, And then he goes on talking about a foundation. The only foundation that can be laid, which had been laid, is that of Jesus Christ. But then he says, here's the warning. If any man builds upon the foundation with gold or silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Here's the key, folks. Right there is the key. Listen carefully. Someday we're going to be judged by God. Christ is the foundation, and we have to be careful how we build upon that foundation. Not only ourselves, but others as Bible teachers, as those who are pastors, or those who are instructing others. We have to be careful. But in our own lives, what we build will matter in eternity. And someday our work, each man's work or the quality of each man's work will be tested by God. Now, I, I really believe here that, that you know, he's, he's using language here that fire, will God actually put fire to the work? Well, how do you put fire to each man's work? In other words, it is going to be scrutinized. It is going to be because when it's held to, uh, if it's something that is solid, in other words, if it is something that is made with gold, silver, or precious stones, we know that that all it does is it intensifies the value, it intensifies the quality, it does something of, of showing that it is strong, that it, it has, you know, that it's something that is useful. But if you put fire to wood, hay, and straw, guess what? They burn up. They're no good. Uh, they're useless. And that's what he's trying to bring to the table here, that God is going to test each man, the quality of each man's work. What really was done for God in his kingdom? What really mattered? What had eternal value versus that which didn't? 
It didn't last. It was worthless. And so they look at this and say, here we go. This is the teaching of purgatory. And they'll go even further because it says this in verse 14, if any man's work which he has built upon, it remains, he shall receive a reward. So so biblically speaking, we know that this is the place of the rewards where we are uh, rewarded by God for what we have done and even what we haven't done where where it's brought to light. But listen to what it says in 15, if any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss. In other words, he's not going to get a reward. He's not going to get the blessing that he could have received uh, from God because of what he did, because what he did was worthless. It it wasn't eternal. It wasn't bringing glory and honor to God. It, it, It really was of no value. And it says, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. Once again, the language that is used here is just the testing. It's 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 the looking at a person and saying, "Okay, you know what? You're not going to lose your salvation at this at this future judgment uh, where we are going to be before Christ and we are going to be rewarded, but we're also going to be recognized for that which did not uh, amount to anything. We are going to lose our salvation. He's not going to kick us out of heaven." He's not going to be like one of the cartoons and all of a sudden where you're standing, the floor drops out and you find yourself, you know, just going in a the speed of light right to hell. It, it, that's not going to happen. But see, the Roman Catholic Church, and I'm given a pretty simplistic look at this, and I could, you know, go a lot deeper and talk about more, things, but I think you're getting the picture. This is their basis for purgatory. But the problem is it doesn't make any sense because in their eyes— this is a place where they're being purified in a process so they're holy enough to get into heaven. It really doesn't make any sense. Um, it, it comes and amounts to this. The purgatory is a false doctrine. And, and it's, it's a false doctrine based upon the Word of God. And I, I'm not trying to be nasty or mean here, and I know that here you have a time of great sorrow and grief when um, Kobe Bryant, you know, and his daughter, which I'm sure his whole family were devout, faithful Catholics. But when we talk about the teachings, the the doctrines, the belief of the Roman Catholic Church of Catholicism, we have to see whether it really it just is at par with Scripture. Is it biblical? The answer is no. It's a false doctrine. I mean, I think of many things, you know, we talked about here in just the last 15, 20 minutes. I mean, Jesus, think about this. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished, John nineteen thirty. He completed the work of redemption on the cross. Um, in his high priestly prayer in, in John seventeen four, Jesus said to his heavenly Father, I, I have brought you glory on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Um, the Scripture tells us in Hebrews ten fourteen emphatically, by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. See, he's the one who's made perfect. His work, his sacrifice is imputed unto our account. It's not infused into us. And each and every day we are we are being transformed by the renewing of our mind. We, we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We are to walk and live by the Holy Spirit. We are to be holy as our Lord, our Savior, 
our King Jesus is holy. As God is holy, we're to be holy. But in sanctification, that's a process. But the bottom line is, it is not a process in the sense that when we get to the very end, we're not good enough, we're not prepared enough, so we have to go somewhere and be cleansed. We have to be purified. We have to put, you know, be put in a fire. We have, to, we have to go through this cleansing process that's going to be a suffering of our own, which really once again says that the suffering and the death of Christ was insufficient. And we don't believe that based upon the Word of God. Matter of fact, uh, 1 John 1.7 says, The blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. There's another passage, not, not some sin or part of sin, but all sin. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but if I begin to look at this, these scriptures that I just read to you, and, and I could tell you right now that there is much, much more. I mean, when, when it comes to uh, the work uh, of, of Christ and the suffering that he went through and all that he did for us, we realize that Christ died once for all. He entered heaven once for all. Um, that he was offered once. He was offered as the sacrifice for sins. Uh, He was the one and only offering. We also know that there is no longer an offering for sin. All these things I have just mentioned are actually found in the book of Hebrews, which I have encouraged people in, in prior podcasts, and I will again, if you've never truly taken the time to go into an in-depth study of the book of Hebrews, I would encourage you to do so. Wow. It is life-changing. I truly mean that. It is absolutely life-changing. So here you have Colby Bryant um, prior to his death, maybe hours before or whatever the time period was he attended Mass, and we could sit here and, and we could actually talk about Mass and, and really do a whole entire podcast on that. But really, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that the Mass is the unbloodied sacrifice of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. It says that the Mass is the same sacrifice as that of the cross. But the truth of the matter is, as I mentioned, over 100,000 masses are said all over the world every day. But as Scripture teaches us, that's not true. And so, you know, whether it be the mass itself, whether it be this whole issue of purgatory and what purgatory is all about, we, we come down to the bottom line that there is no biblical precedent for purgatory. Um, and people don't have to bring forth penance and almsgiving um, in order to help those who have died who are in a temporal punishment or a cleansing for their sin, because Jesus made perfect satisfaction for all sins. Um, indulgences don't have to be dispensed by the church for acts of piety, to release sinners from this place called purgatory. Jesus has released believers from their sins, all of their sins, by his blood. 
once again, um, purgatory is not necessary to atone for sin and cleanse the soul because it doesn't exist. Jesus made purification for sins on the cross. And people, you know, believe, according to Roman Catholic teaching, that poor souls are suffering in purgatory, but they can be helped by those of us who are alive on the earth offering, again, the prayers, the good works, and the sacrifices at the Mass. But we know as Christians to be absent from the body is to be home with the Lord. The bottom line is purgatory is not biblical in any way, shape, or form. My heart goes out to the Bryant family for their loss, and my heart goes out to all those who are grieving and mourning all across the world today because of the great loss of not only the Bryant family, but all those who died in that helicopter crash. But I must be honest with you. My heart grieves even more for those who believe in the teaching that is brought by the Roman Catholic Church about this place called purgatory, uh, about what they call the Mass. Because as we look at it and we take the time, as I've done here in this podcast, we realize purgatory is not biblical. There is no foundation for it. And people have believed, they've bought into it, and even though there may be billions who are Roman Catholics around the world, I asked the question many, many years ago, could they be wrong? And the answer is yes, because what they have believed and what they practice does not stand upon the Word of God. The examples are not there before us within the pages of Scripture. And very crystal clear, once again, Jesus never taught about this, never taught about it. So if he didn't teach about it, then who created it? Where did it come from? Because it's not from God. And so I hope and pray that today through this podcast, I truly mean this, that, that possibly this podcast has helped you. And again, I, I've kind of given you a, a surface look at this whole thing, and my intentions was not to bring any type of harm or pain or greater suffering to the Bryant family or anybody out there, even in Roman Catholicism. But I got to be honest with you, it's got to a point in place where I just I needed to say something. We believe truly that the assurance that we have is by the work that Christ did, the life that he lived. And truly, his work, his life, his suffering, his death, his burial, his resurrection— all of it truly is sufficient. It is imputed unto us His grace, His justification. We are justified. We are declared righteous by God when we put our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, for our salvation. Period. And again, if you'd like to know more about truly what biblical salvation is all about, I would encourage you, and I really mean this too, I want to encourage you uh, to email me, martyminto at gmail.com. I'd love to send you some things that would help you understand who Jesus is, what he has done, and what biblical Christianity is all about. Until the next time, may God bless you. May his face shine upon you.